You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. All right. Welcome everyone to, hi Hi, Emily. It's so good to hear from you. Uh, (laughs) Emily and I are really excited. This is our last episode of 2021 and we just are so appreciative for all of you tuning in to Together in Literacy and your reviews and the comments. They really do mean the world to us. We had a lovely review here from Angela. She said, I can't wait to listen to each podcast by Emily and Casey. Their wealth of knowledge and structured literacy will help so many families, teachers, and children. Thank you so much. And don't forget to please, if this podcast has made a great impact on your lives, leave us a review. Maybe we'll read it over the next few episodes. And yes, as Casey mentioned, this is the last one of 2021. 2021 has been a jam-packed year, right, Casey? It has. It is really something looking back. And I'm always, I always try to do a little bit of retrospective journal writing at the end of the um, month of December, just to sort of look back. And I love doing that. Do you ever do that, Casey? Yes. I think that's a really powerful way to kind of take note of all your accomplishments, because sometimes I think we forget, you know, just how far we've come on our goals and what we want. So, all right. And I write down all the good, the good, bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Get it all out on paper. So, all right. So this is episode number six in the Together in Literacy podcast. And this is part two of our connection between the Ortonian prescription or the work of Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham and the connection to SEL, to social emotional learning. So please, if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode five, we welcome you to do that because it's really going to give you a nice background into why we are having this discussion. We did a deep dive into the the history of Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham and found such wonderful things about their lives that truly just, I think, spoke to us and really gave us the idea that yes, they were in full support of social emotional learning and in teaching to the whole child. And that really, I believe, is just such a tribute. They continue to be, uh, their legacy just lives on in all of the children that we serve and all of the wonderful educators that trained in the Orton Gillingham approach. 
So we were referring to a book called The Many Faces of Dyslexia and uh, that you can uh, learn a little bit more about that in the episode five. And that is a book that was sort of summarizing the Ortonian prescription. And we also talked about the Orton-Gillingham principles, the principles of the approach, uh, because Orton-Gillingham is not a program, it's an approach. And so we had gone through the main five points of the Ortonian prescription last time and its connection to SEL. And now we're going to go through points six through 10. And this just really confirms for us why we just love Orton Gillingham and are so grateful for the work of these pioneers. Okay, Casey, let's kick off number six here. So yeah, we talked in episode five about the Orton Gillingham principles, um, you know, being diagnostic, um, multisensory, prescriptive, being systematic and sequential, having that explicit instruction, being flexible emotionally sound and then language based, you know, talking about covering all of the aspects of language, its history, how it works and, and how it affects learning. And then when we're looking at the Artonian prescriptive, if we're looking at number six, so we did one through five already, but number six um, talks about involve all participants actively reinforcing their understanding of the problem, engage pupils, parents, and pedagogies. So if we're thinking about this, right, if we're I just love this part because it's really talking about how it's not about us necessarily just imparting knowledge on the student or the parents or the teachers, but really involving them in this process and, and bringing in that metacognitive piece, the understanding of why we're doing certain things and how it's helping us learn through that multi-sensory approach while still remaining, you know, with direct instruction. I think that there's a, there's definitely an art to that. Um, Absolutely. We talk about how at the beginning of our lesson, we're always having a discussion with the student about the why, what's the purpose of this lesson. And even throughout the different points in the lesson, we're always sort of going back to, okay, and uh, why are we doing this part? And why do we need to talk about this? Why is this so important? Why do I keep bringing this part up? And just kind of always bringing that understanding to the forefront of their mind. Why are we using multisensory teaching techniques? And yes, the metacognition piece is so important. If you'd love to learn a little bit more about metacognition and its connection to SEL, check out episode three in the podcast for sure. Okay. I think that what we'll start to see, and hopefully the listeners will see this too, is that really there is this connection to all of these pieces as we go through, right? There's just like this spiraling common link that occurs as we're having these conversations about, you know, Orton Gillingham principles and the uh, Artonian prescription and, and the ways that we're connecting to SEL and dyslexia instruction and the science of reading. Really, it, it really is all encompassing and you'll start to see these linkages between them. Yeah. And it's not yeah, it's almost like this beautiful thread that's just being woven throughout. And, and um, it's interesting to sort of see the path it's taking for sure. So with number seven in our explanation of or the Ortonian prescription uh, is to be fully aware of the social and emotional factors in order to mitigate the negative and re reinforce the positive forces in each learner's life. So that is speaking directly to 
the part of our approach, which is that Orton Gillingham is emotionally sound. And you'll hear that discussed a lot when people talk about the Orton Gillingham approach. We are certainly looking to see when we enter with a student, especially at the beginning, there's a lot of negativity surrounding their ability to read or just school in general. There is frustration, there's anger, there is confusion. There are just, just defeatist feelings. A lot of compensatory habits that we have to break through because they've developed those on their own, like guessing for one or avoidant behaviors. And so we really work, I think, so, so closely with that child to make, or students, to find out what areas are they feeling down about, I think, the most, giving them opportunities to just talk them out as needed, sometimes within the first few minutes of the lesson, just having a conversation with how's school going, anything that you're struggling with, uh, any assignment coming up that you want to talk about all of that, but also just recognizing where they are coming from when they come to you. And always, and I say this so much, always keeping in mind to work on that relationship and make sure that it is a trusting relationship because a trusting relationship is a successful working relationship. And that is in really all walks of life not just working with challenged students. Okay. I do want to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, because I think what I love about this is that the Artonian prescription, it already had social emotional learning in it. Think about that. So he understood that there was this strong link to the whole child and to the social emotional piece and understood that that needed to be addressed in our lessons as well. So I think that's just such an important piece. And, and yeah, as Emily said, our students do come with a lot of walls to not take it personally. If a student has a lot of um, walls up there, because it's okay. Like I have one little one and all had so many walls and, and really didn't trust teachers at all because yeah. experienced so much failure. And, and so maintaining, you know, this consistent language with him and consistent response with him so that he learned to trust me and he's doing wonderfully now, but I mean, it really did take, it took a lot of time and it took, you know, for me not to take it personally. It wasn't me when he's like, this is boring. I get Mm -hmm. it. You have to do boring stuff. Sometimes it's okay. You know, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm just going to honor that. Yeah. He, he feels frustrated and he feels upset that this is, you know, something that's hard for him. So I think honoring and understanding where, where a child's coming from as well and giving him that space to speak those feelings, I think is important as well. Yes. And that takes time for sure. Absolutely. Okay. And so number eight is the heart of, of what I enjoy so much about doing dyslexia therapy, because number eight says with um, relation to the problem, be at all times, both open-minded and critical, both flexible and structured, both scientific and humane. And I think for me, this is really talking about being a true coach, right? Being a, a warm demander, being a champion for the child where you are really being prescriptive and diagnostic, and you are using the tools in your toolbox to really analyze and understand where the child is, 
where they're succeeding, where there may be a breakdown, and then taking that information and changing it up as needed, whether, and, and often that's right there as it's occurring, which I love. I mean, it's just amazing to see when you're like, oh, that's not working. Then you find a new way for them to be able to make those connections and unlock. I just really think it's that differentiation and, and scaffolding that that's coming to life in that prescriptive and diagnostic portion. And, you know, if you unpack that a little bit more, just to piggyback, said, oh, open-minded and critical, flexible and structured. So that's art and science right there. (laughs) And, and he, they both knew, yes, it's an art and science of teaching these children, all children, truly. But yes, just to piggyback, we honor that. We love to be able to be, to have the freedom of flexibility within these lessons to, to really get to what that child needs in that moment to help them make progress. I think that that really also talks to the part that it's teachers that teach, not curriculum. So, you know, it's not, this is not about opening up a a box curriculum and running through. This is about having that knowledge as an educator and, and having it as a craft to be both those things that almost seem contradictory, right? To be open-minded, but but critical to be flexible, but then structured, like those would seem as if they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. But when you really have that deep knowledge, you're able to, to put both of those into play. And it really is a craft. So just remembering that, you know, teachers teach not, not curriculums. Right. And in the words of one of my many wonderful trainers, one of my Orton Gillingham fellows, Mary Briggs, you know, we, we, when we would be in training and we'd want it, we want a definitive answer to something. And we asked Mary and she always had the same response. It depends. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? We, at first you'd be like, what do you mean, Mary? It depends. Just give us an answer. (laughs) But then we came to realize, you know what, Mary, it does depend (laughs) a lot. There are a lot of other things. And that I think just speaks to number eight. So beautifully. Okay. Number nine is needy. So remember always that understanding is basic. Treatment is obligatory. And the long range goal is the prevention of disabling consequences of the anomalies or variations of the language function, which are themselves part of the human condition. That's a lot to unpack there because there's a lot of um, different terms in there, but so I think at the heart, when they, when it said treatment is obligatory, yes, it is really our duty to identify, to provide early intervention whenever possible, as much as possible and to treat. And we do that in order to prevent long-term consequences that can be really, really detrimental on many, many levels and not just at the school level, but into adulthood. So we in the Orton-Gillingham world feel a strong sense of urgency when we read number nine, because we know about the long-term effects of not treating dyslexia, not providing the appropriate intervention And we know dyslexia is on a continuum so that there's degrees of severity and 
not one way is going to work for every single one of these students, but it's our duty to really make sure that we are putting forth the early intervention pieces and mapping out a pathway to treatment that will get them um, making effective progress. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think you hit on all of those pieces. And if we really believe that literacy is a social justice issue, I mean, that sense of urgency, right? We are obligated to provide our students with what we know works and what we know about um, the science behind, you know, the neuroscience behind our brain and, and how we learn to read. I think that that is, is such a piece. And I think it's because we see so many students who are coming into us yeah. feeling that sense of brokenness some at a very early age. And so I think that is some of the impetus in in our urgency because we are working so directly with that population. Yeah. Okay. And then number 10 is focus clearly on the ultimate aim, the good of the person, be he patient, student, client, or however designated, but just that, and understand that the rest important as it may be is secondary. So love it. (laughs) I mean, under this goes back to honoring the whole child, the whole person, you know, their uniqueness and providing opportunities to recognize talents and strengths that, that each person holds. And I think that's really important because we want to say dyslexia, we want to understand dyslexia and have, you know, the students and parents and, and educators all use that word and know what it means. And, but we also want students to not have dyslexia define them. So it's this balance. It's this understanding of, of both. Right. So that, yeah, we we're people, we all have our own strengths and areas that we're growing. And I think not losing sight of that. Yeah. And the dyslexia is just one part. It's not the whole package. And so, yes, so important that we do take the time to find out a child's other strengths and talents beyond this so that they can have those moments to shine as we're working through the intervention with them. Thank you so much for reading that last one, Casey. So we have gone through all 10 points that summarize what Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham have outlined for us. And we believe as people who work with children with dyslexia and students that um, need this intervention, and benefit from it and grow from it. And we just would love to hear your thoughts on it as well. So uh, certainly reach out to us if you'd like to learn a little bit more. This once again was coming from the book, The Many Faces of Dyslexia by Margaret Bird Rawson. And I don't know about you, Casey, but I just, anytime I can find little pieces about Dr. Samuel Orton or Anna Gillingham, I just love reading about them. I don't feel like there's enough out there. I'd love to learn more. I agree. And I do too. I mean, I think it's just, it's amazing. You know, they, they were really the pioneers in this and, and their work still holds true today. You know, these are their founding principles that, that we still follow and that we still believe in and we still, you know, bring into our practice every day. So absolutely. And so we're going to wrap up this episode six of 2021 um upcoming in 2022 oh my goodness uh we are uh, making some plans to have some guests on our podcast which is really really exciting so you'll be hearing more about that so 
definitely want to be checking the website www.togetherinliteracy.com or check the podcast for episodes because they come out bi-weekly so be on the lookout for those and on social media you can find us on facebook and instagram and and all of that and as we wrap up this episode uh, once again thank you so much for your support we are going to share a listener question so uh, we have been hearing from uh, people in our audience which we love to hear from them and they have some questions and, and we try our try our best to address them but we also try to um, provide a sense of anonymity we don't share names so if you do want to reach out to us to have a question shared on the podcast then you can do that our email is support at togetherinliteracy.com okay so uh casey i can read the listener question sure okay so it is uh first let me say thank you for your podcast i'm always learning more my question is regarding middle school intervention. My daughter has had reading remediation for years with our true success, only temporary regurgitation awards. We don't have dyslexia testing in our state, but they tested for special ed and tested for signs of dyslexia. Her testing showed very significant tendency to dyslexia. The school is acting like she's a unicorn and they aren't sure what to do. Any tips would be appreciated. Again, thank you so much. I was in tears listening to episode two. I asked her to be tested for dyslexia in first grade and was told it was too early. Now she's in sixth grade and the social emotional damage is so obvious. Well, first of all, uh, thank you so much to that listener for being so open yeah. with sharing that information because we know it's not easy. Uh, it's not an easy road to get your child tested sometimes and get them the services that they deserve. So uh, thank you for reaching out to us. So Casey um, and I had some discussions about this, I have a few suggestions. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate the, you sharing the listener sharing this journey he or she is not alone in, in this. Oftentimes this is the same information that's given to parents when they're asking about testing or have wonderings about their child and what services to ask for and things like that. Um, I think it is important. So regardless of what state you're in to understand that dyslexia does fall under the IDEA umbrella. And while schools may or may not know what to do or what services to provide or what testing to provide that you as parents have the right to ask for those things. Um, yes. There's a couple websites that are really powerful in helping navigate this. So one is rights law. That is a great website. It covers a lot of the legal aspects of that um, behind special education laws and dyslexia laws, um, things like that. Uh, another one is understood.org. And we'll put all these in the show notes, but it's a website that's designed for parents, providing them information. There's even templates that you can download to send in to your school when you're requesting services or testing, things like that. And then the local branches of decoding dyslexia, um, you know, so decoding dyslexia is this grassroots movement of parents across our nation who have come together and they really are, I think, really creating some waves and really yes. powerful. So um, definitely reach out to your local chapters of decoding dyslexia. They'll be able to share a lot of information and provide a lot of support. 
Yes. And you know, those are great parent services for you to learn a little bit more, not only just about dyslexia law, but what your child is entitled to, but also how to be an advocate, or if you choose to find someone to do the advocacy work for you, which sometimes is just really helpful because it's so, so much to navigate. And I've heard a lot of parents describe in the past how this is like another job. <laughs> sometimes it feels that weighty. So having someone else who has the expertise to help you sift through this, I think is so, so important. And we had also discussed that because there is such a, a social emotional damage now, this child is in the sixth grade, okay, and they've been dealing with this a long time now, okay, so probably, you know, over five years of schooling, and they're maybe feeling really, really down, and they may need some outside support outside of what the public school can be offering. And that is something that I just really can't stress enough to reach out and consider and I know that sometimes that may be, there may be a financial concern with that, but at the, at the heart of this all, I think considering some kind of outside counseling support to help that child until they can get some intervention services in place and, and, and work on that, I think is something to consider. Um, Casey and I was talked distressed about the conversations to try and keep open with your child mm -hmm. talking about when you know what what has been difficult or any successes things that went well trying to keep the lines of communication open and i know as a sixth grader you start to get into that situation where they would kind of shut shut down a little bit and don't want to reach out to parents when things are going wrong as we enter into the adolescent years and then early teen years but as, as much as you possibly can without sounding like you're prodding for information, just try and keep those lines of communication open. And we, there was a book that we thought would be great in this situation called The Dyslexic Advantage. And that will, I think, help to talk a little bit about not just what dyslexia is, but open up the conversation about um, that we can look at people's strengths too and see if this child can try and recognize those within themselves. Yeah. And there's this, a show that you can find on online. that's called Dyslexiaville. Oh yeah. And it's, it's kind of designed there. There's two, there's Dyslexiaville and then there's Super Dville kind of for different ages for the older students. Emily and I had recommended Dyslexiaville, um, but it really is kind of shifting this idea of dyslexia into understanding the strengths and, and kind of you know, understanding that while our brain may process information differently and we may have a hard time with reading and writing, it does not define us and that there's these other components to ourselves for us to recognize as our strengths. So kind of going hand in hand with that, that SEL piece. Yeah. And I think that because when you look at the Dyslexiaville website, you'll see a lot of the kids around this age group. So mm -hmm this child may be able, I think, to identify with them and find some commonalities. I'm, I'm certain there's ways to reach out if they want to, you know, send an email with questions, things like that. Um, it's a wonderful website. Definitely check it out. There's some cool videos on there. Yeah. Not making it feel so secret and hidden, but just keeping things open, I think is so important. So yeah. 
for oh. that listener, we hope that between the websites for uh, parent advocacy and mm -hmm. for your child, that this has been a useful conversation and uh, certainly keep us posted because this is something that, you know, we of course are so passionate about and, and want to see and hear about that success story at some point and really, really hope that that happens for your child. Um, so thank you so much. And once again, if you're a listener and you'd like to reach out to us, our email is support at togetherinliteracy.com. Um, check for show notes on the website, togetherinliteracy.com. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.